It's Chris Wendelkin, and this is On the Line, the NBA pod. We are talking all things deep dives and drafts and news from around the league and summer free agency and trades and disgruntled superstar players. I hope you're doing well. Uh, if you're new to the show, you can check out previous episodes on our website, onthelinepodcast.com. Check out a previous draft. Check out a previous deep dive. It's all up there. And last, uh, if you're a new listener, if you could rate and review the show in iTunes or wherever you get podcasts, it definitely helps the pod's visibility online. So uh, we really appreciate it. All right, we're back. Hope you guys are having a great summer. Uh, hope you're hope you're doing something fun with your time. My dog Frank and I have been running around New York City. We've been camping up in the Catskills, making the most of our time away from the NBA hardwood. Hope you hope you're doing something equally fun and relaxing. Um, so throughout the week, um, Ben and I, you know, we'll always just typically text with each other, just kind of joking back and forth about our favorite NBA storylines. And we always float some really big half-baked ideas for drafts or deep dives or whatever it is. And for the better part of a year, there's been a name that we keep mentioning, a guy whose YouTube videos we always seem to exchange with one another at like the wee hours of the night. And that's Arvita Sabonis. Ben and I both watched and admired this guy in the the twilight, the sunset of his career with the Portland Trailblazers, kind of just marveling at his place in the game. I mean, he was this this aging, stoic, Lithuanian guy that no one really knew anything about, unleashed from behind the Iron Curtain in the in the twilight of his career, playing in the States with Rashid Wallace and the Portland Trailblazers. And it was just such a strange beautiful marriage Sabonis on the trailblazers watching this like clearly hobbled once great player try to outguile the sheer physical brutality of uh Shaquille O'Neal and his contemporaries was just such a delight but it was really in unearthing Sabonis's pre-NBA days that made the the process of creating this deep dive pod so rich and Ben and I both read and consumed numerous source materials in preparing for the podcast, but we both felt the need to give a special shout out to two particular films, both of which we can't recommend highly enough. So one is called The Other Dream Team. It's a documentary by Marius Markovicius, and that's about the 1992 Lithuanian national basketball team and their journey to the bronze medal at the Summer Olympics in Barcelona. So that film is is just spectacular, and it really helped us understand and kind of position Lithuanian basketball in the greater historical context of the Soviet Union, 50 years of oppression, and Lithuanian independence. And then the other film, also a documentary, is called Arvidas Sabonis 11, and that's by Remvidas Chekavicius and Andreas Lekavicius. I hope I pronounced those right. Um, and you can rent both of those movies on Vimeo and Amazon, and the, that, that film is specifically about the life and career of Sabonis, and that goes into great detail about his health, his injuries, his personal life, all that stuff. Anyways, both films were invaluable in making this podcast, and we felt the need to give them a special shout-out. Anyways, without further ado, here it is. It's uh, it's our great pleasure, arguably the greatest passing big man of all time, Lithuanian legend, the deep dive. Here it is, Arvidas Sabonis, chapter one. We are back on the line. Uh, ben Craw is in the house. We're talking today, Ben, about Lithuanian legend Arvidas Sabonis. 
Uh, BC, how you doing? How you feeling? How's everything down in Philly? Ah, uh, man, I'm feeling I'm feeling not uh, 100%, Chris. Oh. Um, but um, but you know what? It feels appropriate to to play through some injury, to play to play through some adversity here, um, because uh, as we will see, uh, that it will be a common theme yes. um, in today's discussion. Uh, with our subject being um, the great, the one and only uh, Arvidas Sabonis, which really feels how apropos. Man, this feels like kind of like OTL is a white whale. To yeah, me, does it not? I mean, if we if we had one um, in our you know relatively uh, young mm-hmm. existence, mm-hmm. I feel like this is yeah. This guy's been out there. We've been talking about him for a long time. Um, Completely and, and agree. And throwing throwing around the idea of doing this this very episode, and here we are. You know the the idea Ben of doing this pod sort of entered my consciousness last summer, so it's really been on my mind for a year. Last year, I did a, yeah. a, a pod with my friend Marty, who's from Portland, and we did mm. an episode on the Portland Jailblazers. Right, right, and right. And in that conversation, of of course, we talked about the incredible, you know, brief but incredible time that Arvidas Sabonis spent in uh, Portland, Oregon with the Blazers and his impact on the NBA. And so Sabonis has kind of sort of been in my OTL consciousness for a little while here. And you and I have talked about him over the course of the past year, be it in the trees draft, um, just thinking about, you know, some of the great centers, thinking about the the different international players. We talked about Team Lithuania in our country's draft. So this is a yeah. name that's been coming up again and again. And we always sort of like, teased it we always sort of joked about it and then finally here we are um yeah it was it was the country's draft i think um uh two two drafts ago that that really i think finally um right solidified it and made us realize like okay we have to just get get around to doing this so let's run down the uh, the list here as uh, as captain of team lithuania we have uh, otl favorite of course arvidas sabonis Born in 1964, uh, when Lithuania was uh, still part of the Soviet Union. Um, I mean, Arvidas deserves his own episode, perhaps multi-part episode, uh, which we absolutely will do at some point in the future. I realized kind of when we did that draft how little I really knew about the guy and about Lithuania. Um, Although I'm still very, very proud. I'm I'm only more proud today. to be able to say that I selected Lithuania with my very first choice, uh, right. my, my, my top pick um, in the country's draft, which I obviously urge all of our listeners to go back and, uh, and check out if you haven't yet. Um, uh, yeah, so there's, uh, boy, there is a lot to talk yeah, about man, here. Th- th- there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I mean, can, can I ask you, Ben, like, before before we dive too deep into anything, like, yeah. What was your what was your entry point with this guy with Arvidas Sabonis? Like before you kind of rolled up your your shirt sleeves and and got into the nitty gritty with the with the research. Like what when I said Arvidas Sabonis to you, like what immediately came to your mind? I, f- I feel like that would maybe be a good place for our, to start with our audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, as a kid growing up watching NBA in the nineties, um, you know, he entered the league in nineteen ninety five as a thirty one year old rookie. And, you know, not having any knowledge of the guy at that point, I was always just kind of like, oh, it's so funny. Like this weird, like old, slow white dude, um, like, you know, this big lumbering oaf who plays for the Blazers. Like, I wonder why he's a rookie in the NBA uh, as like this old man with like a receding hairline. Um, And, uh, and, you know, I, I have like 
some uh, some brief memories of like watching him in the playoffs and stuff with yeah. the Blazers yeah. and realizing like, oh shit, this dude's actually really good. Rasheed Wallace, five on the shot clock to Sabonis. Shaq comes out to play him. Sabonis goes around him for the slam. And then hearing a little bit about his, his backstory and, um, you know, how, uh, how his, his prime was sort of lost behind the Iron Curtain and all that. Right. Um, and then I just kind of, um, over the years, you know, just sort of his legend grew as, like, I, I learned more and more about NBA history and, you know, read more books and stuff and how people would talk about this guy as, like, the great what if, you know. And um, it was all, like, you know, NBA hipsters would always be like, oh, well, you know, Arvita Sabonis, you know, really, if if he had been in the NBA in his prime and, and without injuries, you know, he could have been better than Hakeem Olajuwon and Shaquille O'Neal and Patrick Ewing and David Robinson combined and all, you know, all this yeah. stuff. So it's like, um, you know, you sort of, uh, as, as uh, you know, you get more into like hoops culture and history, he's a name that you, that you know, but... It really wasn't until we did this uh, did this podcast that I just like dug in and really like learned all about his uh, his backstory, which is yeah. really pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I would say just something similar. Like I, 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 you know, we're about the same age, and um, my my first memory, my first entry point with this guy was was those Portland Trailblazers teams. And same thing, you know, like guy with the receding hairline, the guy lumbering up and down the court, seven foot three, kind of kind of ran with those like concrete kind of shoes, you know, it looked mm. like, you know, he was just like laboring up and down the court, but had this incredible deft touch with the ball. And mm. um, I feel like the the predominant thing I always heard from kind of media talking heads about, about, about Sabonis was like, what could have been? Like the great what mm-hmm. if, right? Like Sabonis was always the great what if and 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 in a similar way i feel like it wasn't until i hopped in with some of the research here that i could really appreciate kind of his impact and what he meant to basketball uh, internationally and really in the nba and he really had a spectacular career i mean sabonis you know he's considered one of the greatest passing big men of all time you know um that's a, a distinction ben that you know some would say now belongs to your serbian child your adult serbian child nikola jokic yeah yeah um but so, so that's taking nothing away from <laughs> from arvidas yeah but arvidas Sabonis is one of the most decorated basketball figures to ever emerge from europe and mm-hmm. you know we'll be hard pressed i feel like as we hop into the pod here to you know, to do justice not only to the influence that Sabonis had in helping expedite kind of the the migration of players from Europe to the NBA, but also just in explaining like how he influenced the the, the modern game, like the NBA's current style of play. Sabonis, we really might argue, was the first great seven foot tall ball handling you know, point guard. I mean, he was he, yeah. he was basically a point guard in the body of a seven foot three giant, a seven foot three tree. I mean, I kind of hate the term unicorn because it's just like so overused now, but he really was like the original unicorn. I mean, really. I mean, obviously, NBA fans know about Magic Johnson. We know about guys like John Stockton and Jason Kidd and Steve Nash. Obviously, modern, you know, fans of the modern game today marvel at like the passing of LeBron James. There's Oscar Robertson and Isaiah Thomas. But then, like, 
probably, you know, until the emergence of Jokic, we never really saw a seven-footer throw passes like Arvidas Sabonis. Yeah. So um, let's do it. The only guy that was kind of similar was another uh, European legend, Vlade Divac. That's right. Um, Yeah, that's uh, right. Another another Serb. Um, But let's hop into it, man. I mean, um, where where to begin? So Sabonis, um, you know, just like kind of on a broad overview, why don't we just... No, let's just, I, I don't know. Would you suggest we just hop in with the early years or? Uh... Yeah, I say we just start going uh, bit yeah. by bit here, really. Okay. Uh, right. you, you know, there's there's only one one place to start. That's at the beginning. Right. Um, now, um, I will say, Chris, a, a little disclaimer right at the top here for all of our listeners. Uh, we're going to be getting into some uh, history yes. and some geopolitical stuff, which mm-hmm. uh, cl- clearly you and I are not experts in. Yes. Um, but also, another, we're gonna... thing, another thing I'm not an es- expert in is uh, pr- pronouncing certain uh, names from the Baltic. So apologies Ye- yeah, if, yeah. We, if we butcher any pronunciations. Uh, ben and I will try our best to Google yeah, pronunciations we're... before we say things, <laughs> but cut us some slack. Uh, yeah. yeah. I also um, uh, already apologize for my uh, voice, which is, as you can probably tell, a little... A little ravaged by this cold I've been working on. Um, Sounds good over but, here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, luckily I've been uh, pumping, pumping myself with DayQuil, um, much much like uh, doctors uh, on uh, Arvidas' team would, would pump his Achilles with painkillers, uh, you know, prior to, prior to games. Uh, yeah. I've been, uh, been self-medicating here, so hopefully I can, I can get through it. Um, but yeah, gosh. So um, Arvidas Romus Sabonis yep. is his full name. Born December 19, 1964, in a little town uh, in Lithuania called Kaunas, mm. um, or perhaps Konis. I'm I, not exactly I, I sure. Kaunas. That's yeah, yeah. Kaunas. Yeah, all right, all right. Um, and so at that time, Lithuania was a um, Soviet socialist republic. It was part of the Soviet Union, uh, the USSR. Um, now, I'm a little torn here, Chris. I don't know how much um, we want to get into the weeds with, like, I think it's kind of impossible to yeah. fully um, uh, explain yeah, Sabonis without, um, without getting into a little bit of uh, the history of, of his... Um, home country but i don't want to like i don't know if i if i'm i'm a little no, man. um I, I i fully support this I, I i'll say like i feel like it's impossible to talk about sabonis's life and his career without shedding some light on the political climate of what was happening in lithuania and the soviet union like you know i think what we what we both probably learned in researching arvita sabonis is like his career was inherently political Right, like yeah. unlike many athletes in the United States, Sabonis and fellow Lithuanians ultimately had to make basketball choices that altered their life, and and you know that these were life and death choices that people were making, and it affected yeah, quite the, literally it affected the livelihood of their friends and family, and you know wh- whether they chose to play basketball or not play basketball, whether to represent your country or not, those had potentially like grave political and life consequences. So I, I do feel actually a sense of responsibility to just like talk about a little bit what was happening in the world politically at the time yeah um all right well then i guess if we're not going to be too concerned with um uh completely alienating our listeners uh within the first 20 minutes here i'll just get into the weeds uh here because um yeah so lithuania um is a 
a pretty small country um, on the uh, on the eastern coast of the Baltic Sea. Um, so it's kind of uh, wedged in between like Scandinavia and Russia, um, to kind of say it generally. Um, it's a Baltic state, uh, along with Lithuania, uh, Latvia and Estonia. Um, those are the, the three Baltic states. Um, so basically Lithuania had a pretty, um, uneventful history for the first, like, I don't know, four or 500 years of its existence. And then, um, it was, uh, kind of starting in the 1700s, the Russian empire annexed most of Lithuania and ruled it for a while. Um, and then it was during World War One um, that Germany uh, took over and kind of took control of it. Um, and then, so basically, um, between uh, after World War One, it kind of regained Lithuania, regained its independence. Again, I could get into more detail here because yeah. I spent way too long researching this shit. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll I'll try to like summarize here. Yeah. Um, Lithuania was uh, pretty much independent. Um, uh, uh, following World War One, uh, up until the breakout of World War Two, yep. and that's when shit kind of really went sideways for them. During the last half of September, the Luftwaffe reappeared tentatively after a long lull and promptly bore the brunt of fighter attacks. Gunsight aiming point cameras reveal how surely fighter guns found Nazi planes as well as Nazi transport. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that Lithuania was essentially, you know, in, in, in summary, like Lithuania was essentially situated between two major global political forces, which was yeah. like Nazi Germany over here and Stalin's Soviet Russia over there. Like obviously two different periods of time, but like yeah. Lithuania was essentially like caught in the middle of those two empires, right? Yeah, and exactly. And so basically they were... You know, for the course of like the better part of a century, they were like essentially a pawn. They were like a pawn yeah. on a chessboard. They were a pawn, and by pawn we mean um, basically like a a fucking like An occupied state punching punching bag. Yeah. Um, and all of the uh, kind of violence and tragedy that was exchanged between those two massive superpowers, Germany and Russia. Um, what like the the people of Lithuania basically absorbed all of that uh, abuse. Um, yep. Uh, they were basically just like changed, uh, like like tossed back and forth between Germany and Russia. Um, from the start of World War II until the end, uh, the Soviet Union uh, came in and uh, began occupying it in like late 1939. Um, and immediately began deporting people, um, who were, you know, at all resistant to, um, you know, Soviet occupation or Soviet government. Um, there were like mass deportations, um, in 1941. And then in, uh, the summer of 1941, Nazi Germany attacked, uh, the Soviet Union and invaded Lithuania. And then it's under Nazi occupation, um, for pretty much uh, the next like three years, and uh, like during that time, uh, uh, like practically the entire uh, Lithuanian Jewish population is killed in the Holocaust. Um, and then by 1944, Germany is retreating, and uh, thank God the Soviet Union comes back in to take over Lithuania. Um, and then, of course, uh, resume the massive deportations. Um, and so by massive deportations, I mean, like, um, tens of thousands of Lithuanians um, who resist um, 
like Soviet collectivization, meaning, you know, they come in and, and take uh, private farms and say, okay, the government now owns your farm. Anyone who's resisting that is rounded up and sent off to, um, you know, uh, forced settlements and, and basically like death camps in like the fucking middle of Siberia. Um, and so, you know, tens of thousands of people uh, die during this time. Um, and, um, and then it's just under Soviet rule for the next um, 50 or so years. And so yeah. when a lot of people... I think this is significant, obviously, if it's not clear by now, just to paint the portrait, just to paint the picture of, like, this was a terrifying place. And yeah. this was a place where... Um, you know, there was a militaristic sort of style of rule. Like, people were f- forced and coerced into, like, cooperating with the state. Like, you did mm-hmm. not want to mess with the KGB. You didn't want to mess with officials and the government, the USSR, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, again, yeah, like you said, Lithuania was a tiny European country of three million people invaded by the Soviets. And and as it relates back to Arvita Sabonis and athletes, these were people that were forced to compete for the, the USSR, right? Right, right. And it's interesting, you know, Ben, like we both watched um, a few different documentaries in preparation for this podcast, one of which is called The Other Dream Team. Yeah. And it's about basically, uh, I think I speak for the both of us, like can't rec- can't recommend it highly enough. I would say if you if you enjoyed watching uh, Sonic Skate, for instance, this is like right up there in terms of like quality. It's so informative, and it's yeah. it's basically about the liberation of the Lithuanian people from the USSR as a uh, vis a vis um, basketball. Mm-hmm, Anyways, mm-hmm. Um, you know it's interesting. One of the was something in in one of the documentaries that we watched that it, it shed some light on for me was like. I honestly didn't have much self-awareness about it until the film pointed it out. But as an American, my perception of the USSR was always kind of bleak, right? Like there was this narrative that we were fed that, you know, especially I feel like as as an impressionable child that I just assumed that if you lived in a place like that, by proxy that you were someone that supported and endorsed what happened there, right? Right. And you have this monolithic idea of, of like if you are if you're a you know a, a part of the Soviet Union, then you're like that a scary mean, communist. Yeah, that must mean you like it. And you know, yeah. of course, again, I was an impressionable kid. I would you know I was I don't know seven eight years old during the height of all this stuff. I didn't know any mm-hmm. better, but like. You know, well, it turns out in our story, there were many adults at the time who had the uh, exact same level of understanding as you, Chris. Right, right. But the Soviets, my perception of the so- Soviets through through kind of the the media the media narrative that I was fed that I consumed, were that the Soviets were these grim, scary people, right? And mm-hmm. growing up in school, we learned about the Cuban Missile Crisis. Good evening, my fellow citizens. This government, as promised has maintained the closest surveillance of the Soviet military buildup on the island of Cuba. Within the past week, unmistakable evidence has established the fact that a series of offensive missile sites is now in preparation on that imprisoned island. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere. You know, think about, you know, pop culture. You think about Harrison Ford in that movie, Air Force One. (laughs) Get off my plane. 
He's shoving Ivan Korshnov, played by Gary Oldman. He's shoving him out the back of the plane. You think of, you know, villains in, in the Rocky movies like Ivan Drago. What started out as a joke has turned out to be a disaster. Queen appears to be in very serious condition. The men alive. If he dies, he dies. Ivan Drago, the ultimate like Russian, like of my childhood, the supervillain, right? So like, yeah. there is this sort of media narrative concoction about like the Iron Curtain, Soviets, mm. that everyone who lives the there, Red Army, yeah, the Red Army. It's all like very scary and grim, and you know, like one of the things that this documentary that we watched called The Other Dream Team really helped me with was like shed the idea that like. It wasn't. It just wasn't so black and white. Basically, there were a lot of people living in the USSR that didn't want to be there, and that they were having a terrible time. And um, yeah. So, anyways, I just I just wanted to uh, to to throw that out there as as we talk about the USSR. Right. So the, the exactly. So the entire time that uh, Lithuania is part of the Soviet Union from 1944 until um, their independence in in 1990, which we'll talk about later. Um, they do not associate as Russian. They don't associate as Soviet. Um, they remain fiercely independent. Um, you know, they were not, they were, they had a, a totally separate history and culture and language and, and, you know, national pride, um, that was completely separate and independent of, um, the USSR. And right. So they were like, that's, that's a critical, critical point. Like they, you know, uh, while, you know, Soviet in name, um, and in, in, um, you know, like sort of, uh, government, they, you know, they really weren't part of that. And they were the entire time basically trying to figure out a way to reclaim their independence and become a, um, you know, uh, a sovereign nation, um, which uh, miraculously happens uh, later on in our story. But, Let's get back to um, the uh, subject here, uh, Mr. Sabonis. Um, so, right, so he's he's born in, in 1964 um, and, uh, you know, begins playing basketball at, like, a, a pretty late age. I, th- I read, like, around age, uh, like, 15, 15 or so. yeah. Yeah. So Sabonis was, yeah, born in Countess, um, began playing basketball. I think he started playing maybe at 13, and then by the time he was 15, he was a member of the Soviet national junior team. Right, right. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so 15, 15 years old. Yep. He's already discovered and Identified the as you like know, Soviet prospect. sports bureau is like, okay, we own you now. You're going you're gonna to be playing basketball for right. our, you're so good um, that, like, uh, that we want you. Property of the state. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so along with playing for the, um, uh, the Soviet national team, uh, in 1981, uh, when he is 16 or 17, I believe 16, about to turn 17, um, he joins, uh, the, uh, Lithuanian team Zalgiris, Mm. which is part of the USSR Premier League. Um, so now... (laughs) The only thing uh, more uh, Byzantine and complicated uh, than Cold War era Soviet bureaucracy is like this intertwined web of uh, leagues and tournaments and uh, everything that exists for international basketball. Um, So that's another thing that we're going to have to kind of uh, navigate and and wade through as we go along here. there, uh, yeah, there are lots of different uh, championships and tournaments that we'll be referring to. 
Um, I have kind of created like a little cheat sheet for myself. So I'll, I'll be referring to that and try to fill in our readers as we go here. Um, but the f- sort of first one that we'll mention is the, um, is the USSR Premier League. So that basically exists only in Russia, um, and it's and it's club teams, much like uh, it's basically the you know Russian equivalent of the NBA, right. or um, you know there's a Spanish league, uh, and an Italian league, and a Greek league, um, uh, with all these little uh, local teams uh, that compete against each other. So yeah, 1981, Sabonis joins uh, Zalgiris, um, which is a, a team based in Lithuania that plays in the uh, Premier League in uh, in the Soviet Union. Um, it's one of the oldest teams in the in the entire Euro League. Um, uh, Lithuania is really like um, kind of crazy for its hoops. Um, uh, they um, they kind of started playing basketball all the way back in like the twenties and thirties. Um, the uh, Countess Sports Hall, which is where Zalgiris played its its uh, home games was opened uh, all the way back in 1939. It was, uh, I believe it was the very first uh, basketball-only venue um, uh, built in all of Europe um, at the time. Um, So, yeah, they're really crazy for their hoops in in Little Lithuania. And... um, but the in the uh, USSR Premier League, the uh, main uh, really dominant team uh, was this team out of Moscow, right. which makes sense, yep. uh, being the capital and, and uh, you know I think biggest city uh, in the Soviet Union. So CSKA, CSKA right. right, Moscow. Um, they are like insanely dominant. Um, uh, they they had won they won the uh, USSR Premier League championship from. Um, from 1968 to 1974, they won six in a row, and then they lost one in 1975, and then they won nine in a row from 1976 to 1984. Wow. Um, so they're just like, they're like the Boston Celtics, um, of like the 60s and 50s, except that just like was their entire history, um, pretty much. So they're like, um, practically unbeatable, you know, um, they kind of like have all the best players and yada yada. Um, so anyway, um, so little, uh, you know, 17 year old, uh, Sabonis joins this, uh, Zalgiris team, um, in 1981. Um, and then pretty much from like his very first practice, um, I don't know if you saw the, that, that other doc where, um, like replaces the guy at his, yeah, there's like, there's like a big man on the team already who wears number 11, and as the legend goes, um, Sabonis shows up at his very first practice and he's like, oh, okay, he's the other big guy. He's the one I have to like take out. Yeah. And he basically just like destroys him in the practice. In the first practice. And, and the, in the very first practice. And the guy just like straight up quits the team. Retires. Um, he's like, if, yeah. that's who, if that's who you're bringing to the team, then I, I might as well just leave. Like I can't. Play yeah. Anymore. He like, he like realizes he had, like if Sabonis is on the team, there is no longer a place for him on it. <laughs> and he hands over his Jersey number 11 to Sabonis and is like, peace. Um, now that's like, that may be a little bit apocryphal. Uh, the, 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 uh, other player, the, the guy in question is like, yeah, let's just keep it a myth. Um, who knows? He may have retired for other reasons. Um, but uh, yeah. but that's basically the the immediate impact 
that Sabonis Pretty has. Pretty incredible um, entry <laughs> into, yeah. into professional sports. You 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 convince the guy who you're who you're taking his you know you're taking a spot that, to just go and retire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so. Um, so yeah, so Sabonis is like pretty much an immediate prodigy. Um, you know, by by that time he's probably like six seven, six eight, um, still growing, obviously. Um, has just incredible like point guard like skills with his passing and dribbling, um, but is is growing into you know a, a much uh, bigger uh, frame. Um, so now uh, fast forward a little bit to nineteen eighty two. Um, and, um, the first sort of, uh, major accomplishment that, um, Sabonis can put on his resume is that he, uh, competes. So basically he's playing on this club team in Lithuania in the premier league, Zalgiris. And at the same time as that, he's also playing for the USSR national team. That's right. Um, so there are all these like different, um, tournaments and stuff, some of which are with Zalgiris and some of which are with, the USSR national, national team. team right. um, yeah. So in 1982, um, they uh, the FIBA Basketball World Cup, also known as the FIBA World Championships, uh, are held uh, in, in Colombia, I believe, in 1982. Um, and Sabonis, uh, he's now like 18, 17, 18 years old, um, and he's actually on that team, on like mm-hmm. the senior uh, Soviet national team. Um, he's not really, he doesn't play much though. I actually checked the stats and I think he like, he's basically like an end of the bench guy cause he's like so young and, and kind of unproven at that point, but he's actually on the team and that team, uh, wins the gold, uh, defeating the USA team, right. um, in the final game, 95 to 94. Uh, the USA team includes, uh, such guys as Doc Rivers, uh, Antoine Carr, and uh, Mitchell Wiggins, father of Andrew. Wow. Um, now, yeah, are, so. they, are those um, are they in the NBA at that point, or are they still with their college? No. Guys? So those are all those are all college guys, right. amateur players. Because okay, cool. um, FIBA at that at that point um, um, is still only, amateur. only amateurs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for the USA, that is for yeah. the uh, <laughs> teams in Europe, uh, like Russia or the Soviet Union, which I guess we should refer to technically as the Soviet Union slash USSR, since it didn't. At that time, it wasn't called Russia. Anyway, um, they they have this like kind of fuzzy definition of amateur, where like technically all of their players are amateur because <laughs> they like don't have a quote unquote professional league, right. um, and they don't like quote unquote make money, um, even though basically the government just pays them um, and and ensures that they have like everything that they need to you know live. Um, yeah. To be and- clear, so the players for the Soviet national team made 350 rubles a month which to give people a sense is about like 100 bucks a month uh is what mm. these guys were living off at the time right so not a lot of money um yeah. and uh not exactly the the glamorous you no. know path to to riches and fame that it that it was in the usa no no it was really interesting in these documentaries listening to stories of these guys traveling internationally and the things that they would just freak out when they when they would see they they would eat like i remember one of the big things was like having a, a banana oh yeah that fruit fruit was like yeah, an absolutely like, exotic uh like, delicacy hey you want to go party and they're like yeah i'm gonna hit up this like grocery over here and get some produce they're like 
like, what are you talking yeah. about? And they're like, yeah, you know, back where I live in, in the USSR, like you could wait all day in line for something like this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it was like a totally uh, a rare thing just to be able to go purchase some fresh fruit and vegetables. So, uh, yeah, very interesting to hear about the Soviet team traveling. Yeah, yeah, totally. So then also in in uh, 1982, um, Sabonis gets his first real exposure in America when um, the Soviet national team goes on a little uh, tour, a little exhibition tour, and plays against a series of um, American colleges. Mm. Um, I'm sure you... Did you... Uh, see this in your research how he went up um he's like 17 at the time and he's going up against like the indiana hoosiers um and uh and and uh teams like wichita state and virginia yeah so um yeah so in 1982 in the fall of 1982 um uh because i guess by this point you know like the Cold War is obviously still raging but it's like just beginning like tensions are sort of beginning to like thaw slightly um and there's you know beginning to be like a little bit more of like a cultural exchange type thing um so the uh so the soviet team is as i guess part of a sort of a sports you know reach out uh type program um they they do this tour of american colleges um and they play it's either 10 or 12 games i saw conflicting things so also another uh trend that we'll see throughout this episode is that uh, a lot of the news reports are uh, contradictory and uh, like there's just like so much like fuzzy and kind of like slightly inaccurate information that I uh, found like throughout all of this uh, research um, but anyway um, uh, the point is that uh, yeah the, the Soviet national team uh, comes to America and they play a bunch of US colleges and Sabonis who again is 17 years old at the time basically dominates um, uh, uh, and the Soviet team wins like eight of the seven or eight of the of the games um in um uh let's see in one account uh against uh they play indiana and they uh defeat indiana university who at the time uh was led by center uve blob Blob! otl favorite (laughs) but anyway so uh oh yeah so it says here in 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 from an atlantic monthly article from 1986 the russians won nine and lost three uh during this tour of u.s colleges um and in a game that was televised nationally on CBS, um, Sabonis led his team to victory over Indiana University, prompting the Indiana coach, Bobby Knight, uh, to say of him, quote, he may be the best non-American player I've ever seen. Wow. Um, and a couple days later, uh, the Soviets play against uh, the University of Virginia, led by seven foot four Ralph Sampson. Mm-hmm. And Sabonis, again, outplays uh, Ralph Sampson. Um, he scored uh, 20 points with 14 rebounds. Uh, uh, this guy, Bill Wall, who was the executive director of the Amateur Basketball Association of the USA, um, uh, says, quote, Sabonis clearly outplayed Sampson in that game. Um, and Sampson, of course, went on to be the number one pick in the 1983 NBA draft um, for the Houston Rockets. Um, so, so this is like the very first time that any, uh, you know, sort of U.S. Uh, uh, coaches or scouts um, or executives, uh, basketball executives are, are seeing this guy. Um, but again, after this tour, he just goes back to um, the USSR right. and is kind of like 
kind of like disappears behind the iron curtain. There's no, you know, there's basically no way to, there's no media, there's no television that's accessible to, to, you know, kind of observe this guy. There's very little, you know, international scouting at that time. There's no internet. There's no YouTube. You can't look at footage, obviously, of this guy playing internationally, right? (laughs) Right, right. Um... So, so we're back in Lithuania with Zalgiris, right? So we're back in Lithuania then. Um, now we'll fast forward to 1983. Okay. And this is kind of uh, like breakout year, I right. would call it. Um, so in 1983, so now uh, in the previous year, there were the... Um, the FIBA Basketball World Championships, um, which is uh, held between basically teams from all over the world, uh, naturally enough. And then in 83, uh, FIBA holds the Eurobasket, um, the European Championship, which is basically the same as the World Championships, except it's only European teams. Um, and in so in, uh, in 1983, the USSR wins the bronze in Eurobasket. Walter Belosteni mete para Sabonis sin oposición. Trefomikus, Walter, Sabonis, Jovaisha... And that's so Sabonis goes from being an end of the bench guy the previous year um, to being suddenly like the main uh, force on this USSR team. Sure. And by now he's 18 years old still. Uh, maybe, uh, yeah, he's, he's 18 and, and 83, about to turn 19. So uh, USSR wins bronze. Uh, Sabonis is named to the Eurobasket All Tournament team. Um, he's averaging like 18 points a game, uh, throughout the tournament, um, and really kind of like breaking out as like, oh shit, okay, this guy is, is like a phenom. Um, and, uh, Eurobasket 83 is also, I believe where, uh, Bill Walton, uh, first saw him play. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, now quoting from a, a Grantland article from 2011, um, and it says, uh, now mind you, this is Bill Walton, um, who is, uh, uh prone to Subject perhaps a bit of hyperbole, <laughs> a bit of hyperbole and, uh, and, and embellishment. But, uh, according to Bill Walton, he says, quote, about, uh, a 17 or 18 year old Sabonis playing at Eurobasket 83, quote, he probably had a quadruple double at halftime and his coach, Alexander Gamelski didn't even start him in the second half. Um, Walton said in a telephone call, uh, quote, we looked at each other, our jaws just dropping. And I said, you might as well just rewrite the rules of basketball after watching him play for just the first half. The first time I ever saw him, um, he could do everything. He had the skills of Larry Bird and Pete Maravich. He had the athleticism of Kareem and he could shoot the three point shot. He could pass and run the floor dribble. We should have carried out a plan in the early eighties to kidnap him and bring him back right then. Yeah. I mean, um, I think Bill Walton is a is a an important person to bring up. I think we're going to be probably talking about him throughout yes, the course of the podcast. S- but um, yeah. obviously, Walton has the famous quote of uh, you know that uh, he described. I guess Sabonis once as seven foot three Larry Bird. Yeah, yeah. And Walton will will become a very important uh, character person in Sabonis's life. Um, he'll he'll actually be the guy who introduces him at his uh, Hall of Fame induction in twenty eleven. Right. That's right. Um, and lots of other stuff that we'll get to later. But yeah, so the first time that Walton sees him is in 1983 um, when Sabonis is really just like asserting his his dominance over the European game. So 1984 mm-hmm. now this is Sabonis's 19 and 20 age season 
um, he wins your Oscar for the very first time. Uh, I think it's your Oscar, maybe Euroscar. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure Euroscar, how. Yeah, Euroscar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's the the European Player of the Year award, right. basically, and it's given to the best the best European basketball player um, in the world, right? In the world, yes, correct. Um, so it this was, is, uh, it this was, is an award that Sabonis won six times over the course of his career, y- yes. uh, including, you know, he, obviously when he was playing in the States. Uh, if you're of European descent, you can still win the award. Right, right. So the, the, um, he ties, I believe, uh, he ties Dirk Nowitzki for the most uh, Euroscars Euro yeah. of, of all time at six. Um, so, um, so yeah, 1984, he's just rolling along um, and uh, just kind of dominating. Um, uh, let's see, as a, uh, as a 20-year-old in, um, so this would have been, I believe, right after his 20th birthday, because um, it's the, um, the Christmas tournament of 1984. I don't exactly, it's the, it's the FIBA International Christmas Tournament, which is uh, now extinct, but it was um, a, a basketball international friendly I guess it was played at the club level, but in some editions it had national teams as well. Okay. Um, so uh, somehow at this uh, at this game uh, in 1984, the Soviet Union is playing against uh, Real Madrid. Um, so that's a national team playing a club team. Um, but anyway, it's in that game, in that tournament against, uh, in that game against Real Madrid, where a 20-year-old Sabonis uh, shatters a backboard. With, important to note, a one-handed dunk, um... <laughs> He doesn't even use two hands, and he's able to uh, destroy uh, a backboard. It's incredible to um, see the footage of that on YouTube. Yeah. You know? It's just like, it's just grainy footage, and uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, unbelievable to watch. Yeah. So now also in 1984, um, you may remember that the Olympics are held in uh, in Los Angeles. That's right. Um, and so you might be asking yourself, oh, uh, cool, this is uh, Sabonis's first chance to, to play on the, uh, on the, you know, the, the, the big, biggest stage of all at the Olympics. Um, you know, I wonder how, uh, how his team did. Unfortunately, the USSR did not play in those, uh, 84 games in Los Angeles because they were boycotting them, uh, in retaliation, uh, for the U S boycotting the 1980, uh, summer games that were in Moscow. Um, so, um, unfortunately, uh, Sabonis was not able to, um, you know, to live his dream of playing in the Olympics, um, in 1984, um, which, uh, will be important, uh, for the, um, you know, the, the next version of the Olympics in 88, um, uh, which we'll get to. That's right. Um, all right. So it's 1985 at this point. Okay. So here we go. 1985. Um, now this is the year that Zalgiris, um, uh, now, remember when I was telling you about this team, CSKA Moscow? Yes, of course. Which had won, um, up to that point, um, I believe they had won the previous nine um, USSR Premier League championships mm. um, until 1985, and this little team from Zalgiris. Now, Zalgiris had won uh, two USSR Premier League championships in... Uh, 1947 and 1951. Wow. 1951 was the last time that Zalgiris had won uh, the uh, the title in this Premier League. Um, and then in 1985, uh, with a fully in his prime Sabonis, mm. 
Um, they go up against uh, CSKA Moscow in the final, and they win. Um, and Sabonis is named tournament MVP. So, I mean, like, I don't even know what the equivalent of that would be. It would be if, like, I don't know, 19-year-old LeBron James, like, came in and defeated, you know, the Golden State Warriors, who had won the nine previous NBA titles. Um, So, yeah, so 85, Zalgiris wins the Premier League. Sabonis is tournament MVP. He also wins uh, Euroscar uh, for the second consecutive year. Uh, he also wins the Mr. Europa uh, Award, right. um, which is the European Player of the Year Award, um, which was a, uh, I guess it was an award created by a, an Italian magazine called Superbasket, um, and now it no longer exists. I think 2010 was the last year they, ga- they gave it out, um, but... Uh, but yeah, basically, it's it's same thing as uh, your Oscar, just the best European player. Um, so he wins that, um, and then also in uh, nineteen eighty five, the uh, on the national level, um, the USSR, uh, led by Sabonis, wins gold at the nineteen eighty five EuroBasket. Um, so EuroBasket at that time happened every two years. I think it might uh, may have changed to four years just recently, but. So they won, they had won, if you'll remember, they had won bronze in 83. Um, and now in 85, they uh, go ahead and win the entire thing. They win gold at Eurobasket. Um, and they defeat Czechoslovakia in the final, 120 to 89. Um, which is like, like most of those, like I went back and like looked at some of the scores yeah. from, from that tournament. And they're like 70 to 85, you know, like, you know, like some in the 60s, mostly in the 70s. Um, like they're like the biggest blowout, uh, was like, you know, 20 points or something like that. And they, uh, destroyed this team by 31 points, uh, in the final. Uh, so Sabonis is named, uh, Eurobasket MVP as well as, uh, named to the Eurobasket all tournament team. Um, so he's just like completely dominating on every level at this point. He's winning, um, you know, both on the, on the club level and on the international level, um and just you know wreaking havoc a- a- across the fucking continent um and um so much so that um uh in the 1985 draft he is again remember he's behind the iron curtain there's no you know media exposure whatsoever uh, of this guy in the United States um but um there is a team in the NBA yeah. um the Atlanta Hawks, yep. which is owned by Ted Turner, the man from Atlanta. Well, I mean, somebody wrote an article last week that we ought to bring Hubie Brown back. I think it was a friend of yours with the other person. Who is Glenn Sheely? Is uh, he with the Constitution, too? I mean, he wrote a column, but I think he's doing Jesse's column, and he just knocked every single solitary thing. Not preseason games, not the Hawks, not the Braves. I'm sick of it. I am. I'm really sick of it. Ted Turner is fiercely defensive about Atlanta's basketball team, the Hawks. Not surprisingly, he owns them. Now, Ted Turner knows a little bit about... Arvidas Sabonis. Why is that? Because Ted Turner and his Turner Broadcasting Company is uh, doing a lot of deals in the Soviet Union at the time. They're doing TV deals for various sporting events. 
Hello, and welcome to TNT. We at Turner Broadcasting are proud of and excited about today's launch of television's newest programming service, Turner Network Television. Um, so just through that kind of international exposure, um, the Hawks organization um, uh, is sort of, um, you know, on the... Uh, uh, on the the forefront of of international scouting, isn't it amazing? I I was like fascinated to hear all this stuff about Ted Turner that like he had the inside track on Arvidas Sabonis. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, so in the 1985 NBA draft, that of course was the uh, very first year to have a draft lottery um, with uh, Patrick Ewing going number one to our New York Knicks. Um, in uh, in round uh, four, I believe was it round four? Yeah, fourth round draft pick. Um, the Hawks select Sabonis, um, and now I think at the time they were like, you know, we don't even know if it's possible to get him over here, but let's just let's roll the dice, yeah. let's draft him, and and see what we can, you know, what we can do. However, that uh, draft uh, pick is voided by the NBA. Um, and now there's a little bit of confusion yeah, what, here. This is like, where it starts to get foggy. Eligibility issues. What what, yeah. what exactly is the discrepancy here? So the NBA claims that um, Sabonis was under the age of 21, mm. which for players who don't go through the you know traditional uh, United States college route, um, you have to be over a certain age um, to be eligible. Um, however, that rule has kind of like changed i guess over the years um so uh i read some article where uh the this guy stan caston who was then the hawks gm um said he was uh, a little foggy on the date but he said that there was like no real protocol for uh non-traditional u.s college draftees um and that it like wasn't totally clear what the nba's rule was um but some other people claim that the nba was very clear um, and that, um, you know, it was a simple, uh, age eligibility issue. I find it a little hard to believe that they like just didn't know how old he was or they didn't know like, so, so the, on the NBA side, uh, uh, Russ Granick, who was the executive vice president, uh, of the NBA at the time, um, says the rule was, was very clear and that someone from Atlanta must've just like gotten Sabonis's age wrong. Um, which I find a little, a little suspect, um, so I actually believe uh, that a conspiracy uh, happened <laughs> mm. because um, I think that Ted Turner may have been up to some shenanigans and may have tried to do some sort of a, a backdoor deal with uh, with the Ruskies mm. um, because um, wouldn't you know it in uh, in late 1985. Um, Ted Turner and uh, Soyuz Sport, which is the Soviet Sports Council, signed an agreement to televise worldwide the um, Goodwill Games, um, which, so the Goodwill Games were sort of like an Olympics type, um, you know, mixed event, um, sporting event um, that kind of uh, were created in response to the political turmoil of the Olympics and how, uh, you know, the United States and the USSR were, were boycotting each other's Olympic games. So uh, Moscow decided to create the Goodwill Games to, to try to like kind of diffuse that or circumvent that or whatever. Um, and so Ted Turner had, had gone to, to Moscow to make a deal to televise those games. And my theory is that he said, I'll televise those games if you give me Sabonis in return. Sure. 
Um, <laughs> this may be a slightly half-baked uh, conspiracy theory, but I wouldn't put it past old uh, old shifty Ted. I wouldn't put um, it past Ted, yeah. Yeah, uh, with that with that mustache, you just can't trust him. And so I, I believe that the NBA sniffed out that uh, that plot and uh, and said, uh, no, no, we're not gonna we're not gonna let that fly. Um, so uh, so um, suffice to say, the, the the draft pick is is voided, and the Atlanta Hawks do not get the rights to. Arvidas Sabonis in uh, 1985. Um, I think, Ben, like, it's also important to mention at this point, you know, in in the mid-'80s, like, the... Because we're reaching the point where we're going to start having a conversation about the health of Sabonis, that Mm -hmm. we are now ramping up the amount of minutes that he's playing. He is playing more than ever. There's a lack of rest. Um, The the rivalry between Zelgiris and CSK Moscow is more intense than ever. They they basically, they're running this guy ragged, Sabonis. Yep. All right, we're going to hit pause right there. Hope you guys have enjoyed Chapter 1 of the Sabonis Deep Dive. My name's Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at me at onthelinepod. underscore pod. Check out previous episodes on our website, onthelinepodcast.com. Please rate, review, subscribe to the show in Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Have a great off-season, and I will talk to you guys next week.